Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story is this is a very unusual episode of the Drive Time News Blast. If this is your first episode, it's going to be a fun ride, but it's going to be a ride. I highly suggest you listen to another episode to get a real feel of what this is every day. But for regular listeners, let me tell you what's going on. I had a little uh, emergency, a little family emergency. Everybody's okay, but I had to take a very long drive to extract some people from a hike in the Sequoia National Forest. So I am on the road, in the wood, in the mountains. There, I don't know what the hell is growing all around me. I'm going from Bakersfield to Sequoia National Forest, which is uh, where the, I think the biggest tree in the world is, the General Sherman, which I probably won't have time to see. But uh, I think we're going to try to still do this show. So forgive any quality problems. Also, I'll just be, I don't have any notes in front of me, but the show must go on. And thank you very much, Binkley, for making it happen. Uh, you're going to have to guide me through this. You know, I can always, always talk about basically anything. So you'll just have to hit the topics and I'll follow along. That is a skill of yours that I do appreciate. <laughs> Used to be a problem. You can imagine a little kid who never stopped talking, but I seem to have haven't found a way to make my weakness my strength. And uh, so thanks very much for indulging it. Let's okay. do it. Well, today's top story is baseball is back and boy, does it suck. I don't know if I even yeah. want to say that it's really back because it was a shell of what it actually is. And the purpose of it wasn't even baseball. The first game between the Nationals and the Yankees, it was done after five and a half innings. They didn't even finish the game because of the rain, but they got what they needed because they got the propaganda purposes served in the beginning of the game. I love, if you're the type of person who, who just loves to take your mind off of all the problems everybody's facing today in the world and escape into a world of nothing but Marxist propaganda, then baseball's opening day was right up your alley. I'm going to tell you about how it, how it went and a few things that I noticed that I think we might see more of in the future in other avenues, not just in baseball. But the whole thing was politicized. whole thing was politicized had nothing to do with baseball. It was annoying. It was weird. There were no fans in the stadium. The announcers were trying to make the most of it. You could hear the players, the echo of the players talking to each other in the dugout. Starting with the first game between the Yankees and the Nationals. The game opened up with the question on everybody's mind, you know, are they going to take a knee or aren't they going to take a knee? That's what everybody is thinking about. So they opened it up with kind of like a monologue, a social justice monologue to lay the foundation of the evening that was given by none other than Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman is on the loudspeaker giving a social justice monologue about equality and about how now's the time. Hold and, on. Hold on. Yeah. Isn't he a kind of a, a Me Too criminal? That's probably why he had to do this. This is probably part of his his prison sentence to apologize for his, what was it? He like had a relationship or is alleged to have had a relationship with his step-granddaughter or something weird like that? It's what I recall. Yeah. I don't know all the details on that. I just remember that being a bit of a bizarre story. 
So he's probably compromised. He delivers like a two-minute long social justice thing that had nothing to do with baseball. We have a bunch of African-Americans, people, lots of, as they would say, people of color, which I think is an odd term, who are multimillionaires on the field and we're taking uh, – they're doing this social justice monologue. So what this was was this was a photo op. This whole thing was for the cameras. It was all designed to be seen and all designed to be tweeted on social media by the Major League Baseball account, by ESPN account, by the Washington Nationals official account, and by the Yankees official account. And what happened was Morgan Freeman's little speech – Not only was it designed to start the thing off, it was a signal for the players because during his speech, all of the players on both teams were lined up and down the first base and third base foul lines. And they were all holding this strange black rope. It looked like one of those, you know, those velvet ropes that they they cordon things off with if you're walking into a movie theater to go in the aisles. It was like one of those, but it was black and it was really long. It's sounding a little eyes wide shut. It really was strange. And all the players... Had, were holding a piece of it. And you could tell, if you watch it closely, the players were very confused about what was going on. They were looking at each other to see if they were doing things right. It had the feel of something that they had rehearsed together about 30 minutes before the game. The thing was definitely coordinated, and it was definitely rehearsed, but I think it was probably hastily rehearsed because the players were confused and it was apparent. But Morgan Freeman's job was to signal the players as to when they are all supposed to take a knee. So he finishes his speech, and at the end of his speech, he says, thank you. And when he says that, very robotically, all of the players at the same time went down and took a knee and lowered that rope for some reason down to the ground. It was clear that that was, they said, look, Morgan Freeman's going to give the speech. It doesn't matter if you listen to it. You just need to make sure you have your ears open. So when he says thank you, or however he ends it, everybody, that is when you all take a knee. And that's what they did. So everybody took a knee in silence for a brief period of time, maybe a minute or so, I can't remember. It wasn't very long, and there was nothing but silence there. What was going on during this period of time is photos were being taken, cameras were being swooped around the players while they were all taking a knee, and a narrative was being started that was then pushed out through social media through all of these official accounts, like I said, the Yankees, Nationals, Major League Baseball, ESPN. That is the only reason they did this, is so that they could capitulate sure they could say look don't do anything to us we're gonna take a knee look at us taking a knee and all of the accounts tweeted every player took a knee tonight during the game every player all of these accounts tweeted that but it was very very misleading because yeah they weren't taking a knee during the national anthem and you could see people's confusion over this people arguing on social media after they took a knee there was another signal this signal was from the stadium's pa announcer The PA announcer said, thank you, thank you. And you knew it was a signal because the first time he said it, it didn't register with all the players and only some of them started kind of like looking around to get up. Then he said it again a little bit more forcefully and they all went, oh, right, that's our signal to stand up for the national anthem. So everybody stands up. Wow. Everybody stands during the national anthem. Now, what what you did not see photos of and what you did not see tweeted out through the Yankees official Twitter account and the Nationals Twitter account and all the other ones is you did not see everybody stood for the national anthem. Look at all these photos of everybody standing for the national anthem. But what you did see, as I mentioned, everybody took a knee. Look at all these photos of people taking a knee. So they're trying to have it both ways. And to me, this just shows how afraid people are of being framed as being against Black Lives Matter. Well, it's beyond... Actually, I don't really... 
I think it might not reflect. I think if that were the case, they wouldn't need the rope, but they needed the rope because they actually maybe were afraid that every player wouldn't do it. And that, Oh, that's a great point. And that they, that they were doing it to keep their jobs, which it seems that's what it seems like to me because they weren't hundred percent sure that they would just do it from psychological motivation. So it's me, it's more of a sign of submission yeah or um you know i i mean i yeah it's i I mean it's like a it seems like a sign of submission it was very apparent to me that the players maybe they would have on their own volition i'm sure some of them might have but this was done not because everybody felt compelled to take a knee. This was done because this was a rehearsed strategy. This was the first game of the season of this controversial season and with everything going on. This is a big moment. This was a rehearsed moment. This was not out of the, it did not come from inside of all of these players to take a knee right. like this. And I so, to, yeah. so artificial. Go ahead. I, I, here's the thing. If, if you're a person who, this is why they say if you're not an anti-racist, you're a racist, or however that thing's coming out, like not acting. Well, let, let, is let's be clear. Let's be clear on that. It's if you're not an anti-racist, if you're an anti-racist, you are still racist. You've just manifest your race, your internal racisms, and you're on a pathway, a lifestyle okay. of anti-racism. Okay. So, if. If you, if you, if your conscience, if your integrity as a human being, make sure that any action or signal or statement that you make is something you fully understand and can commit to, a person like that, which is a person I want to be, maybe isn't ready, especially if they didn't know what Morgan Freeman was going to say, or they don't know what really all of this symbolizes. They don't know what the plan is, where it's going. You might, you might want to not, not come out with a statement that puts you in a place that you might not know what you're committing to. And this makes it impossible to be that person. This dictates to you how you manifest your integrity. And if your integrity does not allow for you to do something you don't really understand, that's not allowed. And the problem with that is that's how you get just following orders. You know, I was just following orders, which is what was the problem in Nazi Germany. That's what I was about to say. That's how you become a Nazi. Yeah. That's the process of this indoctrination is like we talked about yesterday, that quote from that book, and I'm going to read you another one here in a second that relates to it, is they meet people at those appeals that they understand and agree with. The democracy, but that's, freedom. See, I do think there's a difference between how communism works, how commun- – I'm talking about tactics. I'm not talking about ideology. We're all – you know, whatever. But um, – I'm not, I I think that the communist thing feels more like finding people where they are. And the fascist thing is more about scaring people into adopting an ideology they're not, they they don't fully understand and that they might actually be cautious about, but they can't because the penalty for that is extreme. The communist thing kind of had to act like it. 
We lost Monica for a second there briefly. She's going to be cutting in and out. So that's something we're going to have to contend with today. But as she said, the show must go on. We were talking about the Major League Baseball opening night and all of the propaganda activities that were going on. And I was going to read a quote to you, Monica, that was relate, related to what, similar to what you were just talking about, or related to it anyway, from the book, The Organizational Weapon, a Study of Bolshevik Strategy and Tactics. It's by the RAND Corporation. And they use a lot of the materials from the International Communist Congress, a lot of the things that Lenin said and a lot of the directives that that he handed down to uh, in their analysis of communist propaganda. And here's one of the quotes from the book. In a true communist front, the role of the Communist Party is discernible only to the careful observer. The party did not have to cover its tracks completely because the, quote, innocent affiliates, both organizations and individuals, were not accustomed to close inspection of programs or personnel of those who propose these broad cooperative ventures. So what this is saying is that they rope people into these organizations based on these appeals that <laughs> they can down. get down with. Yeah, there you go. And the people are not used to, there's a political innocence there where they're not used to inspecting every word that these leaders are handing down or, or, or critically thinking about these programs are passing down. They just presume that they have the same values and beliefs that they do because they're trying to cooperate with them. And that is how they're able to get people into a movement to pursue, pursue goals and agendas that they might not even be aware of. And after achieving them, they might end up getting purged. In fact, they often do end up getting purged. I, and, go ahead. I want to say, I think part of this can be that ethical glass ceiling where, sure, you want to hold the rope and you will project onto that the best possible interpretation. Yes, yes. I, you cut out again there for a second. It sounds like the uh, you talked about the Obama thing. You can project anything you want onto him. Can you hear me? Okay, we lost Monica again. The mountains... The mountains are affecting our ability to get the news out today, but we will continue to go on. I want to tell you about the next thing that I noticed going on. The first level of propaganda activity going on last night was Morgan Freeman taking a knee. Are they going to take a knee? Are they not going to take a knee? It reminded me of that South Park episode where they're at a football game and the announcer says, everybody rise or sit or take a knee for the national anthem. And everyone is confused about whether or not they should take a knee or whether or not they should sit. They're standing up and sitting down. Monica, you're back. I'm talking about how this reminded me of the South Park episode where the announcer tells the fans, everybody rise <laughs> or sit or take a knee for the national anthem. And people are standing and sitting and they're confused. And you could look at the players. If you watch it closely, you could see that they're doing kind of the same thing. Some of them are. So they got their strategy from South Park, it seems like. Yeah. But that was the first propaganda activity the first level of propaganda activity i noticed now the second level we're still we haven't even started the game yet we're moving into level two of propaganda activity and that was bring out dr fauci america's hero fauci runs out of the dugout wearing a nationals jersey which is an interesting look for a globalist as predicted wearing a nationals face mask covering his entire face now i anticipated that he might pull the face mask down to give him a little breathing room for when he threw the pitch, but he didn't do that. He kept his face covered the entire time he threw the pitch. And I don't know if that affected the way that he threw the pitch or not, but he ran out to the mound and he very kind of recklessly without taking a pause or taking a breath, mm -hmm. slung the ball. I was going to say towards home plate, but it wasn't towards home plate. <laughs> it was the worst first pitch 
in Major League Baseball history. He unseated 50 Cent, the rapper, who previously <laughs> held that honor. But this was so bad. It's all, you, it was so bad and so ugly. He threw the ball. The, you know, he had 60, 60 feet, 6 inches away is the pitcher's mound to home plate. And really, you could lob the ball up in the air and get it there if you wanted to. But he kind of flung the ball, and it did a like a 90-degree turn, and it and – it, it's like he threw it towards the dugout, like he was trying to get Do another ball. Do you think ball. he did it on purpose? I don't know. I, I thought about that, but it, it was just so kind of like he ran out there without really – he didn't gather himself. He just kind of got to the mound and didn't, just kind of flung the ball, and, and it was over with, and he ran back in. But he might have done it on purpose because making fun of people who throw bad first pitches at baseball games outside of baseball <laughs> is America's pastime. People love making fun. Nobody is above getting made fun of if you muff up that opening day pitch. And that's why people are like, oh, I got to practice. I got to get it ready. I got to throw a good pitch so I don't embarrass myself. Well, actually, Fauci's above it. Fauci is the first person in history who is above being criticized for throwing a horrendous, god-awful first pitch. You go to social media after his first pitch, and the top freaking trend is – He's 79. Is he really? He's 79 years old. Yeah, he's 79. He is. And he's like five foot three, too, or five foot four. He's a very tiny yeah, guy. I have to say a couple things about that. He they they really trot out the old school deep staters for yeah, this Trump stuff. That Bill Barr, like uh the guy who has had Wilbur Ross. I mean, it's really weird. Elliot Abrams, like these guys, they're dragging them out of retirement. Because they have just been these, the guys who have been through the PSYOPs before. This is the guy who brought us AZT. Uh, but also, uh, it, it shores up his image as a nerd's nerd. That's a great point. That is a, that's a fantastic point. See, he played basketball when he was in high school back in the I 1820s. I was going to say, I, he, I don't think he's a nerd's nerd. I think he's an actor, and I think he's full of it. It was such and, a bad pitch. I mean, yeah. you could have no arms and throw a better pitch than I he can, threw. <laughs> I, could pro- I can't do anything, but I, I think I could do better than that. Absolutely. I mean, it's terrible. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. But the, the top trend on Twitter, he's 79. And I was like, what does that mean? Because I had no idea what it was. I click on it, and it's just people defending Fauci. He's 79 years old, okay? And if, if that's the reason he threw that pitch so badly because of his age, then we definitely shouldn't be taking his advice, his medical advice, because if he is that <laughs> broken down, then we don't need to be listening yeah. to him at all. I think my mother, who's 91 and can barely stand would do a better job. I'm going to see what she has to say. Maybe I'll find out before tonight's DPP. I mean, there's in- inanimate objects in my house right now that could do a better job of him throwing. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. He See, that's when I think it's fake, when it's ridiculous. Right. You could, I mean, it could very well have been fake because it did, it set him up to be defended by everybody and show how beloved that he is. And, and what kind of a nerd knows how to throw a ball? Right. He's smart. He must not. He mu- we must trust him because he doesn't know how to throw a ball. So he must be great at science. But I also wonder, <laughs> what about Biden? You know, people talk about Trump being incompetent. People talk about Biden being incompetent. They point to age. Who's going, he's 79 when Trump does something crazy or when Biden says something crazy. Nobody's talking about he's 79. Is that going to be the new Plus- default excuse? Did you hear what the color guy said when he was 
the color commentator when he was when he was did the throw? No, what did he say? He said, "Well, he's so busy basically saving the world." Oh my god. He probably didn't have no, time he, to practice. No, he did not. He didn't say saving the world, but he said he's so busy, I'm sure he didn't have time to practice. Meanwhile, my guess is he's like <laughs> Obama and Trump, their reputation of amusing themselves until they get the script before the press conference. This guy right. isn't doing isn't doing research. There, there's even a counter narrative there where Trump, who was given his speech yesterday, Mariano Rivera was at, you know, Mariano Rivera is the former closer, the Sandman for the Nationals or not the Nationals, the Yankees were the best closer of all time, Hall of Fame. He's a Trump supporter and he was at the Trump's press conference yesterday. He's been to a couple before, but Trump kept referring to him. The Sandman's here. Melania said, why do they call him the Sandman? I said, he comes out, he just puts people down. He strikes them out. And he spent like five minutes talking about Mariano Rivera. And meanwhile, Fauci is over at the stadium instead of, instead of at the White House. And Fauci's pitching, yet Mariano Rivera, he's over at the White House you know, maybe he's a medical medical guy now. I don't know. It was just an interesting dynamic. And then it came up that Trump was, is going to be throwing out the first pitch a month from now. So Trump's already got, there's already a little competitive nature of he's got to do, do it better than Fauci. But, you know, it's not going to be very difficult to actually do that. So that was the second level of propaganda. The first level, Morgan Freeman, are they going to take a knee? The second level, America scientists, we love Fauci. He throws a terrible first pitch. Like you said, a great point. He's a nerd, so he must know what he's talking about. Now, the next level of propaganda, which is interesting, and I'm going to bring in both games to talk about this. As you know, there was no fans at either game. The second game was between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants. Hey, what's up, guys? With the world as crazy and unpredictable as it currently is, the time to start living a truly sustainable lifestyle, a lifestyle of rugged independence, is right now. And Neighbors Feed and Seed has everything you need to help you do just that. Small engine repair, garden supplies, vegetable plants, bird feed, chicken feed, premium pet food. Neighbors has it all. And right now, they want to give Propaganda Report listeners an opportunity to try one of their new products, Southern Nights CBD Oil, at a 20% discount. So go to NeighborsFeedandSeed.com or visit the store in person if you live in the Smyrna area and use the promo code PROPREPORT, that's one word, all caps, P-R-O-P-R-E-P-O-R-T, and you'll get 20% off of your CBD oil purchase. Look, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Neighbors Feed and Seed is a fantastic business ran by friendly, knowledgeable, liberty-minded people who bend over backwards to help their customers in any way that they can. Check it out. I promise you, you're going to love it. Quick correction, the coupon code for all CBD products is PROP, P-R-O-P, all caps, and the coupon code for the starter seed pack is PROP REPORT, all caps, no spaces, and Neighbors Feed and Seed has a farmer's market that starts at 10 a.m. and goes till 4 p.m. on Saturdays. Okay, and Monica is back. Monica, I was just telling everybody about the third level of propaganda, with the first being Morgan Freeman, are they going to take a knee, the second being America Scientist. Now, the next level, and this was a really interesting thing that I wasn't expecting this aspect of it. The two games, as, yep. as you know, there was no fans there. The second game was between the San Francisco Giants and the Los Angeles Dodgers, and it was in L.A. Both games experimented with ways of filling the void that the lack of fans left. No fans there. How are we going to fill this void? The first game used the tactic, which I mentioned that some teams were doing this, of putting cardboard cutouts of people 
in the seats around the stadium. I don't know if they filled the whole stadium, but I know that they filled the seats behind the catcher so that when you're watching the game and you see the pitcher pitch, you can see all the the empty faces, the two-dimensional cardboard cutout faces just staring blankly out of the game, which I'm sure that that really gives the players a great experience there because you know when fans go to a baseball game, they sit there and stare blankly, making no noise and not moving at all. It was creepy is what it was. It was really creepy, and it probably made it a little strange to pitch to that. It was like having a bunch of mannequins watch you while you're playing baseball. And I'm not quite sure who that was for, because it's definitely not going to help the players. It's going to creep them out. And from fans at home, it was like watching, it's like playing RBI baseball on Nintendo. It was like the crowd there, which is just people not moving at all. It's real weird. So I don't know what that was for, but it was the second game. It was their technique of filling that void of no fans that I found very interesting that I think we're going to see, maybe we already are seeing and don't even realize it being used right now and in the future. And that is they created via Fox Sports for television viewers. They filled the stadium with virtual fans. And when you hear that, at least for me, I first thought, oh, it's probably just these digitized, obviously fake fans and fake noises piped in. But when you look at it, you're like, holy shit, it looks like the stadium is full. And it looks like the people are reacting. If you watch it close enough, you can see that there's still still a work in progress, what they're trying to do. But if you're not paying a lot of attention and you didn't know there was no fans there and you didn't know to look for that, you would probably think that that was a re- – you would have no reason not to, to question whether or not those were real people in the stadium. And they have this technology. What it is, it amounts to this. It is a stadium full of deep fakes. That, I mean, that's the best way that I can, I can think about really? it related to what, what we're – yeah, and it looks real. And the technology, it, it's programmed in a way to where the virtual digital people react in real time to what's going on in the game. So they're cheering and stuff, and they're wearing the colors of the team. They're wearing the jerseys of their favorite team. And the technology, when, say, the Cubs are playing the Tampa Bay uh, – whoever, Tampa Tampa Bay Devil Rays in Chicago. And normally, like last year, past five years, that game averages 25,000 people. There's 15,000 seats empty in that game. Let's say that's the case. I don't know if that's accurate or not. This is just hypothetical. That technology would assess that data, and then the virtual fans that we see at home of the viewing audience would be a stadium, 25,000 people, 15,000 seats, And it would be modeled based on the data of how the fans are and how they react based on which teams are playing. So if there's a game that it's like 9-1 to in the fifth inning, then you'll start to see the the, the stadium thin out because people will start leaving. This is is technology, the technology, the AI. You know what they might do? I don't know if you know, but it. when, When you go into a stadium, if it's not full or even any kind of event, they make sure that they sell the tickets and fill the seats in a way that looks to the TV viewer like it's more full than it is. This is just an old thing. You can see it at political rallies. The Grammys, you know, make sure that they have seat fillers in case somebody goes to the bathroom with an eye shot of the TV. They have a seat filler. And uh, so yeah, there's a Seinfeld they, episode where Kramer's a seat filler at the Grammys yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So if they, I mean, they might use this technology in the future for that, but I, but I do think 
since it is so weird, I think they're they're figuring something out. That's for sure. Yeah, this that was a test to me, and that that experience was specifically for the fans. Yeah, and not for the players because the players can't see it. The players still have an empty stadium, so that's the thing. That's the thing that's odd is in a real game in a packed stadium, the players are absolutely energized by the fans. It's electric. It, I mean, it yeah. gets you pumped up and you get jacked up. So, say a home run is hit and there's nobody in the stadium, yeah, you're going to be excited and you're going to run the bases, but it's not going to be this you're not going to do it in the same way that you would do it if there's 60,000 people roaring at your back, but the digital It's not going to be infectious like momentum and stuff. And this isn't just as an aside, this idea of infection, the infectious myth. Can I tell can I just give you a little aside there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, let me finish yeah. that point real quick. It, it, yeah. Is that it's there's it's incongruent. So the fans cheering is incongruent with the way that the players are reacting to what's happening on the field. You see what I mean? Yeah. So and the they, fans are the going crazy, and the players just kind of like, yeah, nice hit. Right. Did you observe that, or you just think that's where it's headed? I noticed that a little bit. Yeah. So this is just an opportunity for me to point out something I've been rolling around in my mind that I heard, I think, on one of David Crow's last podcasts with Thomas Cowan, a uh, very sought-after doctor who is on that same page. I think it was that podcast where they were talking about, and maybe it was a higher side chat, where they were talking about contagion not necessarily being infectious. So when one person yawns and another person yawns, you can see that there is an there is a contagion there. But of course, it's not infectious. Or when you were saying, was it you were saying when the grass is cut, it's like grass screaming a, a, it's, a it's grass other warning grass other to, grass. It's the smell to, of death, and we yeah, love it. Yeah, to contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is beautiful. It, I love it. Um, <laughs> to contract, you know, to make them contract, but it's a contagious feeling. It actually makes other organisms react physically to something that isn't a microbe jumping from one to another. And it, and I think this is an example where the momentum of a ball game is an enthusiasm is an adrenaline rush is something that's give it, that's galvanizing your fellow players because of something you did and something that other people are reacting to that, that contagion goes through the crowd in one way and it goes across the field in another way. And it interacts in certain ways. That's contagion without infection. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. And you're right. Without the fans there, that's not going to affect the players. And you, there's going to be that incongruency. So this technology, think about what this could be used for. I haven't even imagined deep enough how many ways this could be applied or might already be being applied to us. These virtual fans can do up to 500 actions. They can give high fives during a home run. They can do the wave. They can spontaneously do the wave. The AI system is so advanced that it can control the percentage of fans that are in the stadium during a game as well as who they are cheering for. So that, And then they give the example of the, the Cubs Brewers, like I was mentioning earlier. And the system can also adapt to the weather. So when the temperature gets colder, winter jackets and hats are added to the fans. You know what I think they'll do? What? They'll put... They'll put screens up for the players to see so it's interactive. Yes, I was about to say, this is augmented oh, reality. This is augmented reality. Yeah. We are living it right now. Maybe there haven't been fans. Of course, people have probably been to games, so we know there have been fans. But 
other situations for things that we can't access personally, who's to say that it's not virtual, the people that we're seeing there? Who's to say that Trump's rallies or Bernie's rallies or whoever's rallies aren't completely empty oh, and yeah. filled with nothing but this digital? Remember that Tulsa rally? I'm sure people went to that rally, but they could they could use oh, yeah. this type of thing to make people think that something is a lot more crowded and popular than it actually is, and that that could that could be an attempt to manifest that popularity. Of course, crowds in power, digital herd. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And if you see it, seeing is believing. Absolutely. I think that wraps it up for today. Oh, I know we had a few technical issues, but thanks for jumping in anyway with us and. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you guys want access to that extra content that we post every day that we post to DMB, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and become a patron. See y'all later. Have a great weekend.